Today I want to minister on the gospel and I've entitled this message, Look Up and Live. I have a story here and it goes like this. A Christian from China was giving his testimony and he said, I had slipped into a great ditch and the ditch was sin. Buddha came along and said, come up halfway and I will lift you up. Muhammad came along and said, here are five pillars that will get you out. But I couldn't get up those five pillars. Confucius came along and said, you're not really in that ditch. You just think you're in that hole. But I was still there in the ditch of sin. Then Jesus came by and saw my predicament. He didn't say a word, but laid aside his regal robes and got down in the ditch along with the sin and the mire. And he lifted me out of it by his grace. The difference was his love and who he was. He was God who was willing to come down to my level in order to lift me out of sin. Today we're going to look at a religious leader named Nicodemus who is searching for some answers and he's going to get a further lesson on God's love. So as we read in John chapter 3, I just want to touch upon this again. Verses 3 to 9. Truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born, Nicodemus asked. Surely he can enter into their mother's womb a second time and be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water. And of the spirit flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again Nicodemus asked how can this be in our translation nowadays Jesus what are you talking about this this doesn't make any sense and there might be some in the room that are thinking the exact same thing so what I'd like to do today is I want to look at why we must be born again, and then how we must be born again. When mankind was first created, they lived in a pure environment, with a perfect body, no sickness, either mentally or physically, no sin and no death. And because of the tree of life, they were immortal. They were alive and in fellowship with the Creator, Almighty God. Then one day Adam and Eve broke the one commandment given to them. If you eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, you will die. The serpent known today as the devil challenges one commandment and deceived Eve, saying, you're not going to die. So Eve ate. She took to her husband. She gave it to her husband, Adam, and he ate. They died spiritually first as their relationship with God was broken because they sinned. Then they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, separated from the Tree of Life, and no longer immortal. So physical death came to mankind. Romans 5, 19, the Bible says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Because of Adam's disobedience, sin entered into the world, affecting every person born from that day forward. And so we were all born into sin. Sickness and death now had a right over our mortal 
bodies. So when Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God, he was referring to a spiritual rebirth. See, we're all born from I'm wrong. And you've heard the saying, oh, my water's broke. You know, that's, that's the sign we run to the hospital, isn't it? <laughs> oh my goodness, our water's broke. And so we're born of water. We're born of water. And Jesus is now saying, you need a spiritual rebirth. You're spiritually dead, separated from God. You must be born again. Some are thinking, hold, hold on, what for? I haven't done anything wrong. Adam and Eve, come on. That's like 6,000 years ago. And you know, you, you just told me God loves us. You're right. God does love us. So for a brief moment, though, I want to kind of look at how good of a person we are, kind of doing a little bit of a good person test using God's Ten Commandments. So let me ask you a question. Who here in their lifetime has ever told a lie? White or black? All of us have, haven't we? So what does that make us? Can somebody yell it out? A liar. A liar. A liar. That makes us a liar. That's breaking one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not lie. Or you shall not bear any false witness against your neighbor. You shall not lie. Now, has anybody ever stolen anything? Don't say. Don't say. But I'm not going to believe you anyways, because you all just told me you're liars. So I just, you know. So by default, we've broken the second commandment. <laughs> or one of, the, one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not steal. Now, has anybody ever committed murder? Uh, don't put your hand up because you'd scare me if I found that out. <laughs> but Jesus says, Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. I want to make that more personal. You ever kind of go, oh, oh, I wish they were dead. You're so angry. You're so angry. You wish they were dead because they hurt you so much. Jesus says, Committed murder in your heart. That's breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Last one, and we'll move on. Honor your father and your mother. Who here has ever disrespected their parents? James 2.10 says, the Bible says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. Romans 3, the Bible says, There is no one righteous, not even one. So every single person, all of us, on the face of the earth is guilty before God in heaven. And according to God's standard, none of us are good. We have all broken God's law. We have all sinned before God, making us sinners. I came across this illustration that I want to read. Experiments have been made in which people were fitted with special prismatic glasses. Those that have bifocals or multifocals will understand this very well. These devices can cause things to look upside down to them, and their vision was greatly distorted so that straight lines appeared to be curved, and sharp outlines seemed fringed with color. Within just a few days, however, the unnatural shapes, tinted edges, and inverted landscapes gradually disappeared, and the world began to appear normal again, even though they wore those optical fittings. The brain was finally able to overcome the false data that came in through the prismatic lenses. This adaptability in the physical realm is indeed a blessing. However, in the area of the spiritual, 
The human mind does not function very well. In fact, man is a sinner whose deepest imaginations are evil, and his thought life produces a world of illusions. He thinks of himself as pure, when in reality, he is guilty before God. Romans 6, 23, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So as the Bible says, the penalty for our sin is death. It, it looms over our head. We are all separated from God, spiritually dead, and we have an appointment with God, an appointment that we're not going to miss. And our, unlike our judicial system, when sometimes we can kind of lie and manipulate our way out of things, because after all, the judges are only human, God sees and knows all things. He knows every word that comes out of our mouth, every thought that we've ever had, every action that we've ever committed. And we are all guilty of breaking this holy standard. And there's nothing that we can do. We, we, can't, we can't talk our way out of it. We can't run from it. We, we can't give our, all of our money somehow to pay our way out of it. Even if we gave our life to the poor, like Mother Teresa did, we can't somehow still by good works, get our way out of it. Judgment hangs over our lives. And we have an appointment that we cannot escape. It's one appointment that we will not be able to reschedule, miss, or talk our way out of it. Hebrews 9.27, the Bible says, It is appointed for us to die once, and then, after this, the judgment. This is why Jesus says in our portion of scripture to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So we understand now why. Because we're sinners in the need of a savior. But Jesus also answers the question of how. And he uses an illustration uh, or a, a, really a, a history lesson in the Old Testament in no, no, uh, Numbers 23 to point to something that he's about to do, which is greater. And we read that in Numbers, in, in Numbers 21, I apologize, verses 4 to 9, so I won't read that again. But if you picture this, the people of Israel complained against God and Moses. They complained, they go, you brought us out of Egypt to die in this wilderness, and you gave us this, this bread, we hate it. Oh, we just had enough. And God sees this, and he brings judgment and he sends poisonous snakes into the camp. And they start biting the people of Israel. And they start dying. So they turn to, to run to Moses in repentance and say, Pray for us. Pray for us. We repent. And God gives Moses instructions. He says, I want you to, to create a, a snake in brass. And I want you to put it on a pole. And I want you to put it in the middle of the camp. And anyone that looks to it will live. So Moses followed these instructions. Picture this with me. You've been bitten by a snake. And someone looks at you. They see you're dying. They look at you. They say, hey, look up and live. And you're going, this doesn't make any sense. Where's the medical logic in this? This, this is, it just doesn't make any sense. But you do. And you live. And now all of a sudden you see your friend. They're dying. So you drag their body in front of the pole. And you say, hey, look up and live. And they look at you in their last dying breaths and go, it just, just doesn't make any sense. But you know if you do, you will live. So you're looking at them. You just want to yell at them, look up and live. And they take their last breath and they die. Wouldn't that just grieve you? 
Wouldn't that just grab a hold of your heart? And Jesus is using this history lesson, foretelling of what death he is about to face for you and I. And we read this in Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesies nearly 3,000 years ago of what Jesus would do for us. And many of us understand and know the scripture. But I'm going to read this. Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 6. He, Jesus, is despised and rejected by mankind. A man of sorrows. He's a man of pain. And he's acquainted with grief. He's familiar with our sicknesses. And we hid our faces from him. Jesus was despised and we esteemed him not. We didn't respect or admire him. Surely Jesus has borne our griefs. He's borne our sicknesses. And he's carried our sorrows. He's carried our pain. Yet we esteemed, we considered him stricken, smitten or punished by God and afflicted. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on Jesus. And by his stripes, we are healed. In verse six, six we get, I just sound like a Kiwi there. In verse six, we get an understanding as to why God the Father does this to his only son. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord, Father God, has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We also read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Why? Why would God do this for us? Because we couldn't do it for ourselves. We don't have the ability in our own strength to make things right or to pay the price. And the punishment is eternal separation and suffering in hell. And this is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, and now says to you and I, you must be born again. And then he says these words that will change your life. That God... His Father so loved you and I that He gave His Son, Christ, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus stepped down from heaven and became a man and died on the cross, the worst death that anyone could have ever faced. And God the Father poured out the punishment of all upon His Son. And He paid the ultimate price. The ultimate price. For us to be free from the wrath that is coming on this earth. Jesus wasn't guilty of anything. He never did anything wrong. He had no sin. He was perfect. But he saw humanity and he stepped down out of heaven. And he stepped into willingly into the place and took the punishment upon himself. So that you and I would be set free. I grew up in a traditional Slavic home. Uh, Yugoslavian, now it's former Yugoslavia, so I'm Slovenian. And I was Catholic European. Both my parents worked hard to give us everything we needed. Life was simple, but at a young age, for a reason then I couldn't explain, I had this overwhelming sense of emptiness. I, I was 13, I remembered it so, so clearly. Bitterness, insecurity and fear 
had a hold of my life. I, I, I couldn't shake it. And no matter what I did, no matter what I threw myself into, and as a teenager, I threw myself into everything that teenagers did. There was nothing I held myself back from. But every day I woke up, every single day, nothing ever changed. Then I started bodybuilding. I figured, you know what, I'll, I'll start working out. So I, I just worked out something to kind of make myself physically stronger. And, and then I started martial arts because I figured I'll be physically strong and learn then how to defend myself. And then I got a motorcycle license and, and then I got a scuba diving license. And I started doing all these things and I threw myself into everything all to try and fill the emptiness and work against the fear and insecurity that put me in this mental prison. But nothing that I did Nothing that I did helped me escape the internal struggle that no one saw. I had a smile on my face. Nobody saw that inside I was dying. But when I accepted Christ in 1996 on March 17th, I had this overwhelming sense of joy, forgiveness, and hope that just changed my life. And Christ started to do a healing in my heart as I came to him and was born again, healing in my mind, healing in my body, and he set me free. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And then Jesus goes on to say to Nicodemus, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. As a, as a Catholic European, can I share with you? I grew up going through all the tra traditions and the rituals of the church. I, I was baptized as a baby. I, I was confirmed. I had my communion. I did all those things. And whether or not you're a Catholic or a Pentecostal, whether or not you're a Presbyterian or a Baptist, whether or not you're Anglican, whatever it is, whatever, whatever Christian faith that you're in, whatever denomination that you're in, the rituals, rituals don't save you. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ saves you. Faith in Christ. And we're condemned, the, the Bible says, if we don't believe in the name of God's one and only Son. What is His name? Yeshua, Jesus, the Lord, is salvation. The one who gives life and sets us free from sin and death. Be encouraged. The scripture says Jesus never came to condemn us, but to save us. God loves you so much. He loves you so much. He sees that we were born into sin, bitten by that serpent of old. The poison of sin flows through our blood and death and judgment are hanging over our heads. And the only way to escape is to look up and live. Believe in Jesus Christ. He desires to save you, to set you free from the chains of sickness, sin and death, to make you whole, a new creation. Jesus, he is the way, the only way. He is truth, and He is life. He's the way to heaven, a right relationship with God. He's truth. Everything that He ever says is yes and amen. How do we know that? Numbers 23, 19 says, the Bible says, Is God a man that He should lie? 
Does he change his mind? Hebrews 6, 18, the Bible says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him, we who have ran to him, for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. We know many people in our lives that every word that comes out of their mouth is lies. We're like, I can't believe anything you say. And we're kind of like, yeah, whatever. I don't believe you. And so we're skeptical of almost everything we hear. But God does not and cannot lie. Because he is truth. If you believe in the word of God, you shall be set free and have life. Because Jesus Christ is life. I just want to close with an illustration that's entitled Salvation Already Paid For. It goes like this. A tired, timid old lady approached the first desk she saw in an insurance office in Minneapolis. When asked what she wanted, she showed them a policy and explained she wasn't able to make additional payments on it. She said that it was hard for her to get work and what little she did get was hardly enough to clothe, feed, and keep a roof over her head. After a quick investigation, the clerk saw that the policy was very valuable. He warned the old lady that she was making an unwise move to stop the payments. Besides, did not her husband have anything to say? It is, after all, his policy made to your benefit. My husband, he's been dead for three years. Immediately, the company officials went into action. They soon discovered that she was telling them the truth. Consequently, far from owing them money, she was, they were obligated to refund the premiums she had overpaid, plus the full amount for which the husband was insured. The amount was sufficient to keep her in comfort the rest of her life. She had not realized she was entitled to the value of the policy if she had only asked. Likewise, many people are not aware that the storehouse of God's grace is available if we would only turn to Jesus in faith and ask. Jesus' last words as he died on the cross was, It is finished. I paid the price for you. Your sin, your pain, your sickness, and your peace, your peace and healing have been paid for in full by the blood of Christ. Jesus says, repent. That means turn. Turn in faith to Jesus. The life of God wants to change you and I from the inside out. May I ask that every head bowed and every eye closed just for a brief moment as we pray. Look up and live. Look up and live. So Jesus answered the question and he said to Nicodemus, we are sinners in the need of a Savior. We must be born again. And then he, how? The question is how? Well, Romans makes it very, very simple. Romans 10, verses 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. There's nothing that you and I have done in our past life that God cannot forgive you of. If you're in this room and in the sound of my voice and you don't know Christ, and I know a lot of faces now as time's going on, but if you don't know Christ and you want to give your life to Jesus, I just simply ask you to raise your hand. I'd be honored to pray with you. Because Jesus has a desire and his desire is to know you in a personal and intimate way. If that's you in this place and you want to give your life to Christ, I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm asking you to give your life to Jesus. If that's you, I'll only wait for another moment. And you're seeking forgiveness by Christ. Hallelujah.